everybody. Hey, we're here at Art Ladders. We're super excited. So Art Ladders, the creative climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman. This is Val Allen, and I'm here with partner in life and art, Armin Mersman. Hey, Armin. How's it going? Uh, can you run us through our mission for Art Ladders? Well, as, as this podcast, I mean, every podcast is a different thing. This is about introducing a great artist in our community and a great teacher. And we want all of you to be able to, to, to listen to him. But the podcast in general, like Art Ladders, is about bringing all kinds of things to the table that we've learned in our 50 years of teaching and making art and meeting people. And uh, it's something really important, I think, to bring to, to people, uh, I guess, our take, so to speak. Absolutely. And kind of going one rung at a time. One rung at a time. All right. And yes, this is our second episode. And I was so thrilled when Nick Rezatar accepted this interview request. Now, Nick, I first... Uh, met Nick actually at a uh, an exhibit that he curated and was in at Susquehanna University. And then after hearing him speak, chose him as our juror for our My Artist juried exhibition. It's an all state at Studio 23. And then was again impressed when he talked with us and shared so much of his knowledge. Well, Nick is now a professor of art at Savannah College of Art and Design. He has an MFA in Fine Arts Drawing from wonderful Kendall College of Art and Design. His BFA is from Eastern Michigan University. And finally, a uh, AAS in Photographic Technology at Washtenaw Community College. He is an excellent artist. And we'll get into that as Nick starts talking. And a wonderful, wonderful curator and professor. And Nick, I am so happy that you could be with us here on this podcast. Thank you, Val and Armin. Such a pleasure to be here. And nice to stay connected with you over these past couple of years. It was a, a real pleasure to help jury that show up in Bay City. And what a beautiful gallery you have and excellent artists I met up there. And really nice show that it was. And I'm pleased to be here on your podcast with you. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the opportunity to be with us. I know we had some time issues. We are creative people, and that's what creative people do is fix stuff. So, right. Well, I know that lots of exciting things have come up for you over those last two years. Can you catch us up on where your journey started and where it's where it's heading at this point, let's say. Oh, my. And aren't these all, you know, tremendous journeys for us oftentimes in the arts? Um, I think you wanted me to start early, you know, from the very beginning. And what I can say is that, you know, as a child, I, I would watch my mom draw and paint and she'd draw portraits of me. And it just felt natural to jump right into that. And you don't think of doing those. You're just it is what you are. Right. And you don't think of necessarily doing it. And you build upon that through life. Uh, I remember my mom getting me into a middle school art class. It was full and we missed registration somehow. And she walked me and my portfolio into that teacher and said, you have to, you have to take this student. And, and she did. And I think the, 
next day I was painting murals all over the cabinets of the art room. So, <laughs> you know, it was just a natural jump right into it um, through high school, of course, and then into college. And I think that's where the light bulb really turned on for me. Um, <clears throat> my first classes as, at a community college, a local community college. And I met some, you know, some of my most influential teachers. We all have even several teachers that have probably influenced our journey along the way. Um, and particularly Fred Horowitz was the teacher there at, at Washtenaw. And he was a student of Joseph Albers. So, okay. you know, he, uh, I learned who Joseph Albers was at a pretty young age and, 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 and learned. Uh, also, Elaine Wilson uh, was a teacher there, and she had also gone to Yale. And I took design classes, drawing classes with them. And then I took a life drawing class and it stopped me cold. I said, this, this is what I want to do. And especially when I saw um, Professor Horowitz in his element and saw him as one of the happiest people I had ever met, um, his, his joy and his, his pleasure for teaching and for, for imparting the knowledge that he had gained over his many years of, of, of art making and teaching was clear to me and I was instantly hooked. And that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, draw figures and teach, right? And I'd say that was probably one of the biggest steps. Uh, eventually I got an associate's degree in photography. As you said, I worked as a photographer for a number of years, which I think really trained my eye and my ability to work with clients and uh, with you know demanding clients, especially. Um, Eventually, I, I, I went back to my roots with drawing and painting to get my BFA, and then I chose Kendall because they had such a strong drawing program, and I knew that's where my real love uh, was in, in drawing and mark making, especially with drawing is probably one of our most diverse um, art forms that we have, right? Uh, I know Armin and I have talked about this quite a bit uh, in some of our conversations as well. Um, and I also chose Kendall because they were really focused on developing good teachers through their MFA program. And I remember Deb Rockman was my major teacher there. And she had a class, a couple of a series of classes about how to teach at the college level. And not a lot of other programs I looked at had anything like that. So I got to learn from her, one of the best teachers I'd certainly worked with, um, I really want to give props out to, to Ms. Rockman because um, she really helped me to, to, to make major steps in, in my dreams. She also has a great book on drawing. Mm -hmm. I think the third one or fourth one. I use it for my drawing classes. <laughs> uh, it's a massive book. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say it's, it goes deep, deep into the subject matter. It does. And color as well, which I really appreciate about it. Um, and from there, I mean, I was teaching before I even finished grad school. Uh, so I was pretty quickly realizing some of my biggest dreams. I worked, uh, I worked part-time at colleges around Southeast Michigan for a number of years. This college, the community college I started at, you know, it was a great place to teach. Um, I taught at Eastern for a while. Um, eventually the college creative studies in Detroit picked me up. And I taught there for a while in Detroit, such, such artistic energy there. Wow, what a place. Um, went out to Reno, Nevada to teach for a while uh, for, a, for a temporary gig out there. Then that's when I landed with you. 
mm-hmm. uh, curated that show, uh, met you guys, and, and um, eventually juried your exhibition. And shortly after that, well, the Savannah College of Art and Design knocked on the door. And when they knock, you answer, right? I mean, it's a phenomenal institution, and I'm more than happy to be teaching down there. Uh, we can talk more about that as we go. But you know, it's been a for all of us, right? It's been quite a, a journey for many of us in the arts. And we are just people that can't sit still. And I've definitely been that way. I've always been trying to expand my imagination, my abilities, my skills. Um, and you know, now I'm I, I've reached probably one of the upper echelons of of what I could do as a professor teaching at one of the biggest art schools in the world. So it's really exciting. It's been an exciting Congratulations on that too. That's a you know hard school to to get a teaching gig in, uh, and it gets harder all the time. It seems, mm-hmm. um, but that's a major school. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Absolutely, and and Nick, you've referenced so much material that we can add to our show notes for the podcast. A <laughs> lot of links to all different important art sites and websites, including your own website. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned your uh, uh, starting in the figure drawing area, your figure drawings, I'm an abstract painter, right? Mm -hmm. But when I look at your figure drawings, I just get so inspired. Mainly when you mentioned you cannot sit still, the energy in your drawings just shines through gestural marks, everything about it. So, yes, we will have your website in the show notes so people can, can catch up with you there. Um, now, you curated that wonderful contemporary do- drawing show at the Lori Dagenstein Gallery at Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. And explain to us the premise of that exhibit. Uh, so that it was uh, titled Drawn to Creating. Um, and it was also billed as an overview of contemporary drawing, which is virtually impossible to do in one show, especially with only 10 artists, right? Uh, but I mean, that's that, that's the premise, right? Like drawn to create, right? And, you know, when you look at, I guess if you look at drawing in its overall arc throughout history, we've probably been drawing since the very first moments we could make marks as a species. Um, and we're not the only creatures that do so. I mean, there's pufferfish that draw in the sand. Uh, there are, you know, you can give a crayon to a, an elephant and it will probably make marks. But in an intellectual way, we were certainly picking away with drawing tools long before we were doing anything else. Um, we were probably drawing before we ever had language. And in fact, that was our first language. And in other words, it's the visual language. And I teach that to my students all the time. Um, You're, as I tell my students, you're learning to work in a visual language. Most people don't recognize that that's even a language. And certainly your education probably didn't recognize that it was important, right? Uh, So now here we are, if you're going to learn to be an artist or a designer, uh, the first thing you have to learn is that you're speaking in a, a, a human long language, right? We've been doing it since the very first marks we make. And drawing has been the backbone of that since probably the first char- uh, marks of charcoal on a rock, right? Or on parchment. 
Um, and you know, it's funny, we still use charcoal, right? Uh, all the way to the latest digital drawing tools, which are becoming really advanced. Uh, you know, the way the sensitivity to the surface and the uh, tactile textures that you can bring to even a digital tool are getting, you know, light years beyond what they could do even five, 10 years ago. It's amazing. And my point is that drawing has been this arc from that ancient history to, to the tablets of today, right? The, the, the glass tablets of today. And drawing has ebbed and flowed. It's come and gone. It's been important and it's been less important. Um, and when you look at uh, the old masters, for example, they probably made drawing more important than at least as far as we can tell any other culture had. Uh, they felt like if you couldn't draw, you were literally illiterate. You know, that that this idea that you're trying to speak in a certain language, and most people back then were illiterate. They couldn't read or write, but they could read visual language. And so as an artist or a designer, you better be good at what you're saying and what you're speaking. Uh, and, you know, you get into the 20th century, drawing fell off a little bit. It was all, and, and I... I, I look at your work, Val, and I say, I wish I could do that, right? I wish I could uh, abstractly express myself. It's not been a strength of mine. It's something I always try to do. And, and we're always trying to do what, you know, what catches our eye. And that's part of the fun of this too. Um, but I think that we, we lost, you know, drawing principles to some degree. Colleges cut it out uh, of their programs, or at least certainly cut out foundation. Um, programs. And that's part of what I love about teaching at SCAD. Their foundation program is solid. We teach very essential drawing skills. And almost every student that comes to our, our school has to take drawing one and two um, in their foundation program, almost no matter what, they're good, 40 some programs. And they usually start with drawing, almost all of them. And, they, you know, some of them start, oh, why do I have to draw? But by the end of the class, they go, wow, I can really see the world in ways that I hadn't before, right? And so my point is getting back to the drawing exhibition, you know, uh, drawing has come full circle again. Drawing is big. Uh, people want to buy drawings. They want to look at drawings. It's become rare. It's a rare commodity. Uh, you can take a digital image of almost anything in seconds, right? But to draw is a meditative practice and people recognize that. And they'll, they'll say, oh my gosh, I can't do that. That's the first thing they say, I can't do that. Well, of course you can't, you haven't practiced it. You haven't learned how to do it. You haven't been practicing it. So of course you can't, you could, right? Not to say that you could never do that. Um, and so, but they see it as a rare thing and drawing has kind of come back in a way that it hasn't been for, you know, quite some time. And I wanted that show to reflect in as much as 10 artists could, all the different ways you could make a drawing. And I'm, oh, it was nowhere near that, right? But it, you know, it was a pretty good diverse collection. Um, artists that span from, you know, from Armin's very detailed graphite, um, highly rendered drawings, which show incredible patience and depth to some of the more expressive work that I had brought into the show, uh, where it's a little bit more about that intuition, about um, letting the process take over a little bit. And there's a little bit of everything in all of those different works, you know, that entire spectrum. 
Uh, not everything that Armin does is planned, I assume, right? And not everything no. that Valerie does is entirely spontaneous, right? So uh, I wanted the show to reflect that. And it, again, in as much as 10 artists could, I think that it did. Yeah, I was uh, I was very proud to be in that show there, Nick, and uh, um, enjoying myself quite a bit with that. So I also believe, and if you agree, that drawing teaches you how to see. It teaches you how to observe. And uh, that is really the nucleus of being a fine artist. Uh, for Valley, you know, taking drawing class was important because she sees from the inside now. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's important. So I agree with you 100%. I think drawing is the foundation and then the artist builds upon that. That's so true. In fact, in my college career, my major was drawing and printmaking. So the fundamentals, Nick, that you're talking about down at SCAD, it's, it's so important because you have to move through and then move on to what you mentioned, intuitive work. And that's basically abstraction for me. And I'd like to ask you too. So this was a, a monumental project, this curatorial role, plus exhibiting artist role that you played in that exhibit. Mm -hmm. uh, can you think of an, any other projects? And I've seen some on your website that you felt um, moved you in different ways and are still motivational in your, in your mind today. Oh gosh. <clears throat> Probably the one that, <clears throat> excuse me, the one that stands out the most, the humidity level whew, in Michigan right now. <laughs> um, what probably the project that stands out to me right off the bat, when I took that um, temporary job in, in Reno, Nevada, and, you know, I took it because here's a chance to, to move across the country, even for a year, uh, teach art in a place I'd never taught before, get to know students that I'd never met before. Um, and I remember in the early stages of taking that job, um, one of the head professors calls me up. She says, could you teach a mural class? And I went, well, sure. Uh, yeah, I've, I've painted murals. I, I know how to do a mural. I, I think I could teach a class. I mean, I've really, I've never seen a mural class, <laughs> first of all, uh, I, but I'm sure I could devise one up. And I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. Um, basically they had had a, they had won a grant to paint a mural in the student center, a very, really large open building on a mountainside, tremendous views out of the windows of mountains of the Sierra Nevada range. Um, you know, and I had a lot to learn. <laughs> I committed to this, but I still had a lot to learn. Um, it was, uh, it was a, a grant that they had won, the art department had won to get funding to paint this mural. Um, I don't remember. I think somebody that was on task to paint it had dropped out or left town shortly after this came in, but the money was still sitting there and they wanted to turn it into a learning opportunity for the students. And I said, well, that, that's great. That's, that's exactly what I'm coming here for. So that's, that's perfect. And so I think I was given six students that had signed up and I, maybe I recruited a couple of those as well. And we had this money. Uh, we had a wall. And that was it, right? So, and, and I said, I said, okay, okay, you six are from this area. You know, the Reno, Reno, uh, um, Tahoe area, it's all in a valley. And then Lake Tahoe is up at the top of the mountains. I, I didn't know much about the area and I was, you know, thrilled to learn about it. So I said, you six know this area. 
what is this mural going to be about? Because I think we had, you know, we, it was this, it was the idea that this mural should represent the, the valley or the region somehow, right? It's like, okay, all right, well, you teach me. I'll teach you how to paint this thing, how to develop the plan, how to get it passed by the president, right, of the college. Um, you have to teach me about this place. So through sketching, through photography, through field trips, we would go out and take and they'd show me around and I'd teach them, okay, this is how you start to plan a mural. We're going to take photographs of our favorite places, of things that are meaningful to you as native Nevadans, um, of places that are meaningful to you. Uh, and we even went so far, somebody said, oh, well, do you know about the Stone Mother out at Pyramid Lake? Wait, what? <laughs> so, you know, it was um, Paiute land. It was Native American land reserved and set aside. Stunning area. And I learned about what the Stone Mother was. She was a rock formation in the shape of a, of a woman sitting with a basket. And, and, and Native American legend had it that she was the, the mother that cast her children into the lake because they wouldn't stop fighting. And this was even, you know, maybe even warring between tribes. And so she stood there as a, as a sentinel to remind everyone that behave yourselves, right? <laughs> or or you're, you're gonna get thrown in the lake. Um, but we had to be careful because this was not our imagery as, as, as white people up in the valley, right? Um, so we brought in an expert from the, from the tribal community to, to advise us on how to best represent her through our project. How, how could we represent her without stepping on any toes or upsetting anyone whose icon that belonged to, right? Uh, and she was so very helpful. That was a big part of it, right? In the end, we had sketches and mock-ups and we had to take it to the president and her board who had to approve the imagery and the idea behind it. Uh, 20, I'm trying to remember, it was a, a, oh gosh, how long, a 25 foot mural by 12 feet tall. Um, we did get it approved and then it took us about three months to paint it. And I taught how to paint a mural in the entire process. <laughs> You have, uh, do you have a photo of that? Yeah, it's probably on my website. If you go to, uh, I, it might even be a whole separate tab. Um, but certainly that'd be great to see for our audience too. Um, yeah, and I've got detailed photographs and I still am in contact with the professors out there. And I asked them, how's the mural looking? Looking great. Get so much attention. There's a million things. One last thing I'd like to say, one thing I've always done is I bring in live musicians to play for my life drawing classes, symphony quartets, jazz quartets. Those are always massive hits and so much. Oh, that's that's a great idea. I'm definitely glad you talked about the mural because I was curious about that. And what you just laid out was a complete mural class. And I love that you brought in the experts. I mean, that is a great tool in teaching. Bring in the experts and let them help guide the students as well that is that's a great great project yeah and i just glossed over it so there's so oh, much more. Oh. <laughs> i know you I, well i did some uh, murals and 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 uh so for me it took some getting used to because i'm this detail freak and i'm sitting there with my little brush on the mural and I'm, everybody's going what are you doing <laughs> you know? part of it too uh, um reno uh reno is a, a really cool art city as well and they had um it had been a few years in, but they would do a massive mural competition every year. 
And the year I was there, I think there was 40 some muralists that were invited to paint murals around the city of Nevada, uh, around the city of Reno, of Reno. And um, I volunteered to help out with some of the artists. And I got to work with an artist from Oakland, California. And we did a piece about his Korean heritage. It was probably a 30 foot piece on the side of a hotel. Um, and I hadn't painted a mural in many, many years. And I learned all kinds of new tricks from him that helped me with the class too, right? So right. the layers mm -hmm. that, that build upon these projects we get ourselves into are, are deep sometimes. I, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you took on this class and you, at that point you might have not known as much about murals as you might have uh, wanted to. But I, I think when somebody challenged you to take a class, we artists that have been around, we can grab, go behind that, read about it, understand it, and put our own selves in it, and teach almost anything. I can teach anything except watercolor. I can't teach watercolor. That's such a challenge. I can't do watercolor. <laughs> yeah. And you know, artists, we are open to experiences. And you know, when you when we reach out and grab onto things that are out of our comfort zone as professional artists, we're we're modeling. We're showing what can be done. And also, you. Um, you were here for a brown bag lunch with our artists during that jury show, and you were able to impart lots of advice about, well, I'm going to use the word networking, even though that's kind of a businessy word. And I'm trying to think. This is a business. This is a business. <laughs> Tell us about your networking because you, you know, here you are now at SCAD. How did that? Tell us about that. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, um, you know, there's there's so many ways to be an artist. There's no one can tell you there's any one right way to be an artist because for any of us, it's a personal journey. And what's important to us in making art is different for virtually all of us. And there's a lot of overlap, but for the most part, it's our own journeys, right? Some of us make art only for ourselves. Uh, you know, we hold ourselves up with our drawing table and, and, and that's good enough, right? Or it's for our family and that that's good enough. It's for our friends and that's fine. Then there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, some of us are in the arts to collaborate, um, to work with other artists and get to know each other and, and share our knowledge and, 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 and you know, um, uh, work on projects out in the open. And, and those are kind of the two extremes and there's everything in between. And, and I don't know that there's any one right or wrong way to do this, right? Now, in, in that it, art isn't always a business, right? And in, in, in really, at its core, art never was a business, never should be a business. But it, you know, in today's, in the time frame of today, it's helpful to have a business mind. If you're going to be able to support yourself to any degree, uh, making your art, if you're going to be able to find your clients or find the people that... Uh, believe in what you do, whether they buy your work or collaborate with you or whatever it might be. Um, and so, I mean, of course, social media is the big thing. That's how I got that gig uh, curating the show at in Susquehanna, at Susquehanna University. Um, it's, you know, not being a secret artist, letting people know what you do, what your loves are, what your passions are, right? 
Um, and, and I think that's important for those of us that want to reach a broader audience, that want to find clients, that want to find people that really want to be a part of our vision of what we do, right? Uh, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, you know, having your own website, it starts with that. And mine is woefully not updated because life has been so topsy-turvy these past couple of years, taking a new job and everything. Um, but, you know, it starts with a website. But if it's just floating out there, it's probably not getting a lot of attention, right? Um, Instagram is a wonderful platform for artists right now because it's mostly artists. It's not a lot of political or um, non-artistic discussions going on, right? And then not to say that art shouldn't be political. It, it can be, and it does a good job at that sometimes, right? But but Instagram's a place where if you're putting your work up, you're probably going to find your audience. I even have drawing one and two students. I say, throw your stuff up on Instagram. For one thing, your friends and family will be wowed at what you do. How did you do that? I can't do that. It's the first thing they say, right? Guaranteed. <laughs> but you also will find buyers. And I get students in drawing one and drawing two that sell their work on Instagram really quickly. And they get dedicated and loyal clients out of that platform. And so they come to me and, you know, I'm still fairly new at SCAD, but even as the quarters go on, older students, you know, of mine come back and say, you know, I've sold a bunch of my artwork. Thanks for telling me how to do that. It's not, you know, not that hard, but you got to put yourself out there. Right. Um, and I tell them, I say, value yourself. Don't give yourself away. You're making a product. And if you want to donate it, that's up to you. But if you're just giving your work away, you're not going to make a living. And you're making everyone think and expect that they're going to get free artwork. If someone really wants your art piece, they're not going to have a problem paying for it. I agree 100%. So I remind my students of that all the time. But, but Instagram, um, uh, yeah, TikTok. They're selling work on TikTok as well. Like they'll, they'll put up videos of them making it or standing next to it and they'll sell work that way. So the, the ability to reach a market is probably easier than ever, but it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of voices. So you got to try to stand out as best mm -hmm. as you can. I just think that's all good for students and emerging artists and we professional artists as well to hear that because it, it is time consuming and you're kind of wondering, is this worth it? But what I'm hearing from you is put yourself out there, you know, don't be a secret artist. I love that, that phrase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also. I mean, you can be, but but just know that you're probably not going to sell a lot of work. If I mean, you the opportunities <laughs> you have now is completely different than the dark days when I was a student. You know, there was no internet, and so the way you uh, you would sell is enter juried shows and things, and those are still an important thing to do. But you have a lot of you have a lot of outlets to sell your art early on, but you have a lot of competition too. So one, one uh, you know, balances the other there. Doing all of these hats that you wear right now and creating your own art, how are you, uh, I guess, planning your time? Are you able to, does one motivate the other and give you energy to keep rolling? Like, like you said, you never sit still. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the universal struggle that that almost all of us have to to balance our studio time, our creative time with whatever else it is that that sustains us or 
or keeps us, you know, paying the bills, whatever it might be. Um, teaching, I, I will say right off the bat, and I know Armin knows this because we've, we've talked about this before. Teaching is its own art form. Um, and I don't think there's any teacher that won't say that it's not right. Like, you know, they'll say, yeah, I agree. And, and it's, 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 it is its own creative pursuit. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I probably draw more with my students lately than I get to draw on my own, but it helps me practice, sure. right? It helps me. That's my job is to show you to draw. Okay. Well, let's draw then. Um, so to answer your question, yes, teaching it definitely, when, when you're on, it's almost impossible to balance with a studio practice, right? But at least we're doing what it is we want to do, not only teach, but to, to draw with them or, or paint, you know, I painted on that mural with them or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, you do have to balance and find time for your own creative pursuits. Um, you know, I get my summers off and I'm up in Michigan for the summer. I'm down south in the winter, which has its own perks, right? <laughs> but I still have my studio up here. And um, this this is my time in the summer to, to, to shut things off that were a distraction from my studio time and then develop my own practice and my own work in here. And it's not easy, right? I mean, whether you're teaching or have another job or have another profession that, that, that art is something that you can find time to do on the side, not a lot of us have the luxury of just being in our studio all day and night. Right. Uh, so it is about finding that balance about finding, um, the, what fulfills you personally and creatively, you know, and finding time to do that and energy to do that. Mm -hmm. So you gotta, you gotta write a calendar. You gotta set it as you gotta set that time aside, just like a job, punch your time clock, go into the studio, sweep the floor and get to work. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have that time, whether it's over the summer at night, if it's in the morning, get up, do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then go off and do what, what else it is that sustains your, your, the rest of your life to, you know, family work, whatever it is. Uh, but do set some time aside for yourself to be I'm curious, uh, Nick. Uh, I believe I be, I've become a much better artist myself because I'm a teacher. Uh, I think uh, students will ask me questions and I might not know the answer. And I will tell them, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find that out for you. Uh, or I make okay. up something, but you know, one of the two. But uh, uh, I think you learn so much from even beginning students that it's been a long time that I was a beginning student. I didn't realize that anymore. I forgot about those things. So I, as a, mm -hmm. I, I think the best thing for to be an artist is to be a teacher. But I don't think all good artists make good teachers. And I know that for sure because I used to run a program here in Midland. And I was a curator or the manager of the school hired some great artists that were not great teachers or anywhere near it. Yeah. And I mean, teaching is not cut out for everybody. It's a lot of work. It's putting a lot of yourself out there, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, just for example, I hadn't painted a mural in, in a dozen years and I, I painted half that mural myself because how else am I going to teach it than by showing them how mm -hmm. to do it. Right. Um, uh, but even like, it's SCAD last uh, over the winter quarter. We have we have a quarter system. And, and as a full time teacher, I teach three out of four and I get the fourth one off. Um, and 
over the winter, I was teaching drawing too. And drawing too, as in most programs, they want you to, to learn a diversity of, of drawing materials, right? So we put away the graphite mostly and the charcoal mostly, and we get out ink and colored inks, those, those, those golden fluid inks, which I know you know so much about. I love those things. Um, teaching, and I hadn't really used those, and here I am teaching students how to use it. Oh my gosh, what an incredible medium that I probably wouldn't have picked up otherwise. Um, pastel, uh, you know, working with pastel is something I've toyed around with, but to help them with demos and pastels, whew, wow, I mean, uh, and I think, and, and we talked about, you, you talked about this, so sometimes it's something we don't even know, right? Like I didn't know how to really use those fluid inks, mm -hmm. but in my demos, I figured it out real quick. And part of what you're teaching is to be daring. Right. To, hey, grab this bottle of ink and try it and you're going to screw something up. That's fine. Right. Um, and the next one you make is probably going to be better. And when you look back on the things that you make, you'll go, oh, I learned a few things about how to use that. Um, and I think in today's art world, the very least you should be able to do is tackle a diversity of medium. You should be able to draw in monochromatic with monochromatic materials. You, be, you should be able to do some color work, whether it's dry or wet. You should be able to paint a little. You should be able to sculpt a little. Be able to do some digital things in this day and age, right? It's just another tool. Why not have that in your belt? So I think as teachers, we're constantly immersed in all of these different things anyway. We're teaching ourselves how to do it sometimes on the fly. Sometimes we're reminding ourselves how to do things that we learned about. But at the very least, we're showing the students how to be bold, how to be daring how to try out something that seems really scary. Those acrylic inks seem really scary. Pastels seem really frightening until I just do it. And then when you do it, you begin, you begin to gain some mastery over it. You begin to learn how to handle it, how it works, how it doesn't work, maybe most importantly, right? Um, and it's another tool in your tool belt. I also uh, think that conceptual thinking and to be daring conceptually is as valuable as being uh, daring technically or what you're using. And I encourage my students, you know, think of it, think of your concept you want to do, but do it differently. Well, and I think that's all part of it, right? I mean, it, a, a sense of building daring uh, and experimentation in any student, it, it should be in every aspect of what they do. Uh, even outside of their artistic life, right? Do you grab life whole and just, just get after it, right? And don't be afraid to take those avenues that present themselves to you. You know, they're, they're a little scary, a little frightening, a little unsure. But if I can do it through art, I can do almost anything. Being bold in your life, being bold in business, being bold in art. It's, it's, it's just a great way to live. It's very... But, but you're also humbled by that too, right? And that's important because... You've got to carry yourself with humbleness through that entire process, because if you don't, those art supplies are going to eat you alive, right? Pastel will eat you alive if you are not humble in your approach with it. If you're not humble in your conceptual thinking in the work that you make, and if you're not humble in your relationships with the people in your world. So I think that's important as well. Bold, daring, and humble 
uh, if you go through life that way, you're going to open a few doors. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful, wonderful words of wisdom there, Nick. Thank you. And, you know, you were referencing your, your drawing class down at SCADS, Savannah College of Art and Design. You all went through that pandemic just like the rest of us. And in a few years, we probably won't even talk about the pandemic anymore, mm-hmm. you know, so and we're, we're moving forward. But uh, that year that you were, that we all went through, how did SCAD handle that? I've noticed much more of an online presence from them. Are you involved with those types of things as well? Oh, gosh. Um, We will probably talk about this pandemic forever. I mean, we still talk about the 1918 pandemic, and it was probably not as culturally changing as this one was uh, in a lot of ways. I would probably start off by saying that same ability to traverse difficult terrain as a teacher and as an artist is what made us as teachers able to traverse the difficult terrain of this pandemic. And I don't think it is lost on anyone how much teachers had to do to cope with the changes that that pandemic brought. and, you know, for me, I, I've been teaching 10 plus years. And over that 10 years, over that decade, I've watched, uh, I've watched the college environment change right beside me. You know, more and more classes have gone online. Mm-hmm. And I always said art will never go completely online. It just won't. I, I don't think it will. I just don't see it happening. And then it did. <laughs> but, you know, having lived to that experience, I got to ask my students you know, did you like this? Would you take more art classes online? Almost none of them would continue doing that, at least not solely like that. Almost all of them said, I cannot wait to get back into the studio. I want to collaborate. I want to be on campus. I want to be with my peers. I want to touch things and be in front of an easel and move clay around, right? And smell the art supplies. So Yeah, this has changed things in a lot of ways, but I still think students will flock to art schools and still want to be in the studio environment. It's a lot of what we do, right? It's not everything, but it's a lot of it. So Mm -hmm. to answer your question, well, I'm a little biased, right? Because I I do love SCAD. I I love the institution that that I've I've joined on to. It really is a giant family in a lot of ways, and it really is giant. Um, Mm -hmm. But... I think that as an institution, they were poised to handle this better than most places I was familiar with. And in fact, you know, a lot of the other teachers I know from around the country had had probably not had some of the support that I did as a teacher. Um, You know, they we got sent teaching kits with a. Uh, with a tripod and a, and, a, and a camera to set up for our demos and battery packs because they knew that the batteries wouldn't last. So they are they they equipped us technically right off the bat. Like you're going to be online, and at least here's some some basic tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that I would have thought to get all of that stuff or been able to get it fast enough to be able to teach my online class. So they had that sort of at their fingertips, and that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically, I mean. It was the last, it was the end of the winter quarter one year ago. Uh, It was the final critique. We took a break. And then all the students start sobbing 
as they check their messages. We're all online next quarter, right? <laughs> so it was it was a quick turnaround. One week later, we had to be teaching. And then we actually bumped the quarter back by two weeks to give us a little bit more time to prepare. But we had to completely shift, not only the teachers, but the students as well. And I think SCAD was really well prepared for that. They had been teaching online classes for a dozen years. It was nothing new to them. The platforms were there. Um, the students were really upset at first. Um, but I think that we were all grateful to continue to be able to learn, to teach, to be able to, to, to really somehow find a way to still do the things that we could do in the classroom, even though we were all in our bedrooms and our living rooms, uh, our makeshift studios, whatever it might be. Um, and is it going to change education forever? In some ways, no doubt about it. I mean, I will not do demos without a camera and a big screen anymore. Just why would I? Uh, even if I have 15 students, there's no point in them crowding around a little drawing table and trying to see what I'm doing. I'll put my camera on it. I'll blow it up on the big screen. We can talk about it in person. They can see on the screen what I'm drawing. And then we go on and, and, and try it out in the studio ourselves. So, uh, and as it is, when I get back in the fall, we're going to be hybrid. So some of my students will still be online. They're coming from regions where there's still a danger for the virus. And some mm -hmm. students will be in person. So mm -hmm. we have to be flexible. And I, I do have to thank, and not, I'm sure not only SCAD, but SCAD has been incredibly helpful to us teachers in making sure that we felt like we knew what we were doing. We had the right support and the right equipment to pull it mm -hmm. off. And I think we did. It was a it was a tough learning curve. You know, I went to I was teaching eight Zoom classes last year in, in one week. And you put more into teaching two hours of a Zoom class than a regular class. You know, it's uh, uh, you're constantly on when a regular class, people are painting. You sit down for a while and you walk around a little bit uh, with Zoom. It was completely uh, on and. Uh, uh, I had the fortunate uh, that I was helped too by an organization I was teaching with in Detroit, the, the Atelier Studio School, uh, which provided me with a lot of that early equipment. And then I bought thousands of dollars more equipment. <laughs> it's a rabbit hole, I tell you, all the stuff you could get a hold of to, to be able to demo exactly. digitally. Oh, my. <laughs> Photo rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. And honestly, you know, honestly, my my background as a photographer helped me immensely. And I've said that to my students for years. I've said, if you really want to work as an artist or designer, you have to have some knowledge of photography tools because they are really the drawing is the backbone of everything. Photography is right behind yep. it and right over top of it. So make sure you know how to use a camera, a good camera, how to get a good image, how to stabilize your image. You know, we can go on and on about that. And I think I remember talking to your crew at, at your center about that. Like if you, you gotta be able to at least take good images of your artwork. Mm -hmm. Because as a juror, that's the first thing I do is I weed out the bad images mm -hmm. because I can't tell what it is. Right. I can't tell how well it's made. And if you don't have the discipline to get a good image, I'm not sure that it's even gonna show up as a good piece of art. It's not going to hang on the wall well. It's not going to be framed well. It's not going to be made well. It starts with getting a good image across to your potential viewers or buyers or jurors or whatever it is. I also think you you learn a lot about composition with photography that you not learn as easily when you just start out with drawing. Because it's so instant. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
Yes, you did speak to that when you during our brown bag artist luncheon, and you made a, a you know big deal, and it was it is a big deal, absolutely for jurors and for buyers. And also, I was a, a fly on the wall of one of your classes down in Ann Arbor. I remember I did a presentation on those golden paints you were just mentioning, but I was uh, I stuck around for the last half of your class, and I was so impressed with the way you. You, you, uh, you're very motivating, you're very no-nonsense, but you're also very kind in the approach. That has served you very well. And I want to just a few minutes on, on just how that came about. And it may be your past teachers that imparted that, uh, those values on you. And, and you've added the humble part, and I love that. So I, I I loved being in that class with you. I remember I was looking for a light switch for you, and I'm like, oh, I just want to, I just want to find the light switch. There's for so it. many light switches in that room too, so I don't blame you. <laughs> I would even get confused having taught there for years. <laughs> that was a lot. That was fun. Okay, but oh man, that was a cool class. Well, I think you I think you hit on it when we talk about our teachers as teachers. You know all. As humanity, we've passed down art through the ages. Uh, the very first artists, we go back and we light up those caves and we look and they're like, what were you doing? And we, I look at that and I see motion. I see animation in a, you know, a 30,000 year old cave painting. And students think animation is the new thing. I'm like, mm -mm. it's been here for 30,000 years because they go down in the real quick as a side story. They go down in those caves with their, you know, their their headlamps and they're looking around. Look, like, this is pretty cool. And then one of them says, this is not how they probably made it. Well, what do you mean? Well, look, there was a fire over here. How did they light this cave in the first place? So they go and light a fire. What do you think those images do when it's a fire lighting them? They move. And why are there seven bison repeated? Why are there six hunters repeated why does the mountain repeat itself 10 times because that's the way it was made they were moving the images were moving and these artists were trying to show that they're trying we don't know what they're talking about for sure but it's probably about hunting and chasing game across this landscape and how do we survive and what is it that we love and we know here it is laid bare on the wall so that was literally animation um, I never thought about it that way. That's very interesting, Nick. Yeah, and I don't think that's my original idea, but I've, I've heard it and kind of I talk to my students about that all the time. Um, but, and so my point is that we've had teachers throughout history and then we have our own teachers. And my teachers have always imparted um, this sense, this sense of urgency in what we're doing, this sense of, of, of import of what we're doing. is It's important to learn these these things because that's when people say, I don't know how to do that. You must have some God-given talent. It's, that's not what it is. It's literally my hard work and my engagement in what I'm doing. Um, but being humble, I think, is something I learned from all of my teachers, you know, that, that I don't know everything as your teacher. I, I can't. I never will. Right? And, and, and really, I couldn't be prouder than when you, as my student, go off and do things greater than I did. Right. That you take that torch and you light something bigger with it. Um, there's there's no greater joy to me in a lot of ways. So 
I think that it's just a continuum, as you said, you, you know, my teachers, the, their teachers, their teachers, so on and so forth. This long, long line of art making. Um, and, you know, and we, when I say that today, digital tools, they're not the end all be all. They're just another tool that you should have in your box. Correct. Most patrons don't want to see digital work. They don't care. They see enough of it already. Um, now, but most careers, you better know how to work that program and that software and those digital, those drawing tablets, right. And those painting tools, the digital tools. So, you know, it's another tool that is handed down to us by, by this long lineage of teachers. I don't remember the original question, but, but I think to me, yeah, that's, that's part of who I am as a teacher. Like we're made up of all of our experiences when we teach. Yes. Thank you so much for that answer. And as we wrap this up, Professor Nick Rezatar, I want to ask you <laughs> where you see yourself going in the next few years. What's next? What's, what's happening? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I, if I could see, you know, I had no idea if you asked me two years ago, um, where are you going to be in academia? I had no idea that the Savannah College of Art and Design would be calling me. Um, I, I've met a lot of amazing people at SCAD and including, uh, teachers that have been there literally 20 to 30 years. And SCAD is only a 40 year old institution. Um, so I, I don't doubt that, that, you know, SCAD tends to hold on to its teachers and the teachers don't seem to leave because there's so much offered to us. The, the students are wonderful. The city is amazing. The, the college has immense resources for us to teach and learn ourselves uh, from, right? So I imagine I'll be pretty comfortable in my gig there. And, and you know, the opportunity to go back and forth, um, spend my time with my, my, I have great Michigan connections. I have wonderful people I've worked with up here. Uh, and work in my studio up here and then go down there and teach and get away from winter. <laughs> right. Uh, so I don't know where I'll be in a few years. I, I do know that the biggest thing of teaching down there is I am exposed to artists from around the world in a way that I never really have been. Things that some of these artists do, backgrounds that they're coming from, things that I see them make. And like we talked about before, this idea that I want to try them all. I want to do them all, right? And where do I find the time for that? But I think that when I can take all of that creative energy back into my studio, um, it's hard to know where you're going to grow and, and to turn into. And Armin were, and I were talking about this sort of warming up. He said, I, I know you talked about wanting to get into sculpture. I do, I badly, you know, so... I think when I'm settled in back into my studio, I, I got to get some clay out, start sculpting some things, see, see what I can make there. So I don't know. To answer your question, I do know I love teaching. I'll be doing that. Um, I will always be an artist. It's just part of who we are, what we have to do. Uh, and keep up with me and I'll let you know what I've gotten myself into over the next few years. <laughs> we will. And Armin, do you have any uh, closing thoughts with Nick while we have him here? This is such a treat to be visiting with Nick. I agree. Uh, you know, I look up to Nick, uh, both as a teacher, as an artist, and uh, we share a lot of the same passions and uh, and those kinds of things. Um, yeah, it's one of those, you know, a podcast is a little snippet, you know, 
we could probably sit there and talk for hours and hours and hours on all these things, but we try to bring the, you know, the most relevant things out in the, in these conversations. And uh, I thank you very much for, for being our first guest on our podcast. And uh, I wouldn't have uh, wanted anybody different than you. So thank you very much, Nick. And uh, uh, I, I've loved, I love what you give out to your students. That's a, that's a major thing. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for thinking of me for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I, I still hear occasionally from uh, your members up there at your art center that might ask me a question or just hit me up here and there. And any of your listeners um, can reach out to me. And as I find the time, I'll be happy to to talk to you a little bit about my my journey and what I'm doing and uh, how I could help you out, you know. You, you were also on that show that I curated at Midland Center for the Arts and Masters of Drawing, Masters of Ceramics. And uh, you were one of the first ones I thought that's an important element because of the movement within your pieces. I just enjoy that so much because uh, uh, it's a type of art that I don't do often, but you do it extremely well. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you so much, Nick. And thanks for that offer. For our listeners to reach out to you, we'll we'll make sure that they have access to all of that information in our show notes. It was a pleasure. Thank you for accepting, and I uh, want to thank our listeners and uh, the Creative Climb Art Ladders, the Creative Climb with Valerie Allen and Armin Mersman today with Professor Nick Rezatar from Savannah College of Art and Design, and this is our second episode. So please tell us what you learned, what you liked, and you can leave that right in our messages as well. And I'd also like to thank our producer from Cold Shower Media, Taylor Kramer, for making us sound so great. And <laughs> this was uh, just a pleasure to be involved in. So uh, Nick and Armin, I guess we will sign off. One last thing I'll say is I'm so glad I could keep up with you even through this format and this medium and uh, let's stay in contact. It's always enjoyable to work with you in any capacity that we've done so far. Oh, thank you so much. That is good to know. And thank goodness for social media, right? We can keep up with each other so easily. I love it. Okay. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.